Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to My Favourite Work of Art with me, Dr. Laura Jane Foley. Each week, I'm joined in the studio by a guest who tells me all about an artwork that means something to them. Today, my guest is the highly acclaimed actor Russell Tovey. Russell has numerous film, television and stage credits. He began acting as a child and received widespread recognition when he was cast in both the stage and film version of Alan Bennett's The History Boys. Russell has played leading roles in several primetime television series, including Sherlock, Being Human and the BAFTA award-winning BBC sitcom Him and Her. He has also starred in HBO's original hit series, Looking. He regularly works on stage and most recently he appeared in The Lover and the Collection by Harold Pinter at the Pinter Theatre in London. I'm delighted he's joining me today. Welcome, Russell. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. So tell me, what is your favourite work of art? My favourite work of art has been uh, a recent vision that I've seen in the flesh. I've seen images of this uh, reproduced online and in books and magazines and articles but I've never actually seen it in the flesh and I recently went to MoMA last year in New York and I come out the lift on the full floor and there was this incredible painting that in the flesh is just sumptuous it delivers and it's called Night Fishing at Antibes and it's by Picasso beautiful so for the benefit of our listeners can we describe it Yes, so for the benefit of our listeners, if you imagine, I mean, the more, it's like a mural-sized work, so we're talking about three and a half metres by two metres, people will probably be more uh, au fait with Guernica by Picasso, which is a a monochrome painting of uh, the bombing of Guernica, which is um, one of the most visited Picasso paintings in the world. Mm. I've seen that in the flesh. That was painted in 1937. This one was painted in 1939, which is just before the outbreak of the war. And the images in it is two men fishing in a boat at Antibes. You can see the towers of Antibes in the background. There are two girls to the right of the fishermen. One has arms outstretched. The other one is holding a bike and eating ice cream. And there's moonlight and you would assume it's moonlight and it's it's kind of illuminating the scene of these two men in a boat spearing fish. One's got a torch on the end of his spear and the other one has his fishing rope wrapped around his foot. And they are, in a moment, it's it's the metaphor of fishing, of life, of, of feeding, of the, um, the domesticity of that, but also the... Um, honesty of the fisherman and the simplicity of that life and this was painted in 1939 before 
the world was going into darkness. Mm. So for this Picasso, this image is like a celebration of the simple beauty, mm. this girl eating an ice cream on her bike, the moonlight, two men fishing for their families to sell. It's But it's beautiful in its colours. and The colours, I mean, we must talk about the colours because yeah. they're so unusual, yeah. a very unusual Picasso. I mean, they're... Uh, turquoises and blues and reds. Mm. I mean, they're just, it's so vibrant, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. And when you see it in the flesh, it the, the image, the reproduction just doesn't do it any justice because in the flesh it is jaw-dropping, truly. I was completely, I literally saw it and went, that is categorically the best painting I have ever seen in my life and I don't think I will ever see anything as good as that. Yeah. I was really, really taken aback. So when you asked me to do this straight away, I was like, yeah. Mm. Night fishing and tubes. And there's an artist I love in New York called Cheyenne Julienne, who I've talked about a lot before and I, I've promoted a lot on my Instagram and everything. She is a Bronx-based artist. She's phenomenal and she does a lot of uh, self-portraits and she has a cartoon figurative abstraction to her style. And I have commissioned her to do a painting uh, and I want her to be influenced by this painting. I don't know what it's going to turn up like, but I said to yeah. her, I said, I want this commission. I want it like big, three by two metres. And I want it, I want you to see Night Fish and Antibes and I want you to go off. No, I haven't got it yet. She, I don't know if she started it. So that's all with her in the Bronx in a studio, like a big canvas. So I'm excited to see what yeah. she gets from that. Because so, for me, I, I love her work and I know that this style, this will trigger something in her because yeah. of colours as well. I think for me, it's that sense of being on the edge of something mm. in this painting. And as you say, the girls are on the, the quayside, mm. on the edge of the water. The, the the fishermen are at sea and then they're, they're spearing fish. But if you look at the fish in the, in the image, they're actually, they're not piercing it. No. So they're at that point where the... The, the, the spear comes down is touching the skin but just isn't there. Just before the pain, just and it, before penetrating. Absolutely, the, and it's yeah. amazing because this was completed in August 1939, mm -hmm. just before mm -hmm. uh, Hitler invaded Poland. Mm -hmm. So it is that he really captured, captured yeah. that sense of what Europe was going to. It yeah. was carefree, it was beautiful, it was the, that last it's beauty. summer. He's captured yeah. that, yeah, the last, he's captured that moment of beauty before it all gets destroyed before they go descend into the darkness of World War II. So do you remember the first time you saw it, apart from when you saw it in real life? I've seen it in uh, Picasso books. So I have a lot of Picasso books, monographs and stuff. I've seen it reproduced in black and white. I've seen it reproduced in colour. You've got a copy of it in front of you now in mm -hmm. colour. Th the scale of it, it just doesn't... You can't you can't celebrate it like you do if you see it in the flesh. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it in, in books and I've, I've looked at it, but I've never... I've never studied it in the book. It's all, I've always it's caught my eye, but it's never. It, it seems too complicated when you look at it in a reproduction. To me, it seems like there's so much going on. Whereas you look at Guernica, and because of the monochromatic colours of that, it's easier to be reproduced. It's easier to dissect and to to c capture all the moments. Whereas this, there's so much going on. And if you didn't really look, you probably wouldn't even see the girls on the quayside. Mm. You probably wouldn't see the city in the background, the towers that Antibes known for. You wouldn't pick that up and it the, some things you can see in a book and know and some things you will never see in your life because they're in collections that you're they're never going to be seen but sometimes when you get the opportunity to see a painting in the flesh you understand why mm. it's so important to see work in the flesh yeah definitely do you when you go back to new york do you regularly go and visit the painting yes well i've told people to go and see it and it's moved 
Oh no! So they move. They obviously rotate and they move things yeah. around, and it's not there. Okay. So it, it can't be like a touchstone. I wish it was. My touchstone in New York is Bethesda Fountain in Central Park. Whenever I go back to New York, that's what I do. I go back and see her. I salute her and I go, yeah. "Thank you." That's my thing. I would love this to be my mecca touchstone. It can't be because they move it and they put it in storage. So I wish, but you know, it'll come back up. But it's it's in the MoMA collection. So it's not always on display. No. Oh goodness! That's wow. Yes. Such a, an amazing. Yes. So for me, it felt like yes, and it felt like for me seeing it in that moment was like a bit of a gift. Mm. Like because I just wasn't expecting it to be there. I had no idea that it was part of the MoMA collection. I just hadn't really paid much attention to it to be honest. Mm. And then I saw it and it changed everything. Wow. What about artworks in this country? Are there? Touchstones and Touchstones. artworks that you sort of go and visit, you know, when you're well, you on know stage what? and you walk down Drury Lane and then you sort of pop by the by, yeah, well, National, National Portrait Gallery. I will go in and there's Holbein's in there that I, I've always found Holbein fascinating. I think when I was a kid, I was obsessed with kings and queens. I was obsessed with Henry VIII and all the wives and getting their heads chopped off and Edward VI, the boy king, I found fascinating. Elizabeth I... Sir Francis Drake, Walter Riley, or, or, you know, Lady Jane Grey, who was only on the throne for like three weeks before she got her head cut off. That period of history, the Tudors, was just as most of the world who are Anglophiles are obsessed with as well. And also it's so overtaught in our primary so schools, isn't it? No, but in primary school, yes, but not in senior school. No. In senior school, if th- we had delved into that, I would have taken history over geography, but it was all about the war. World War Two, And yeah. I didn't care at that time. I didn't want to know about war. I wanted to know about mm. our royal Well, it's history. magnificent, um, isn't it? Our history, our Tudor history exactly, is magnificent. Why, and you want to celebrate that, don't you? Yes, yeah, ce- completely. And I, that was what fascinated me and why I was being forced to look at war and pain and destruction. I didn't want to. I wanted to look at, see this, like, the, the trials and tribulations of what it was to rule, the monarchy, you know, mm. the, the greatness of that. And we didn't get to. So, But Holbein, for me, as uh, a royalist portrait artist I always thought it was incredible like the one with all the roughs and everything he's the one that really captured that and they have them in the National Portrait Gallery in a really kind of darkly lit section that's a touchstone that I go to regularly I mean I probably didn't go to the last time I went was probably about a year and a half ago or something but that is something that I will take time out every now and then and go and see mm. definitely where did the interest in art come from? Because you talk so passionately about it. It's mm. obviously something that's very important in your life. Yeah, it is. Where did it start? Was it from your parents? Nope. I think uh, I think it's from watching cartoons as a kid. I think from seeing a lot of Nickelodeon shows. There were shows like Ren and Stimpy, Beavis and Butthead, Rocco's Modern Life, The Rugrats. In my formative years, these cartoons, the colours, stimulated me and made me so... Excited! I, 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 when I first started collecting things when I was younger, was animation cells, so the individual sheets that make up a moving image mm. in animation. So I was able to kind of, when I started making money as a kid off adverts for various kind of conglomerate companies, I would then put buy like cells from like Warner Brothers store when that used to exist, and the Disney store when that used to exist, and that used to fascinate me. Yeah. Tintin was another thing. Urge's Tintin was visually something that I was always drawn to. So I was always drawn to comics and and like animation. So my route in was like through Keith Haring, discovering Keith Haring, because that was the link between animation and art and mm. he because his work was very very well he's cartoony. Yeah. Uh, Lichtenstein, Andy Warhol, Pop Art really inspired me. Mel Ramos, who was uh an advertising artist, used to do like the girls coming out of the bananas and sitting in martini glasses and stuff. 
that was a route in. So that my way in was definitely through um, figuration, but cartoon. Mm. And I, and I, and that's a lot of my collection. I, now I, I've worked out what I am, and I have I have that side of it, this cartoon figuration abstraction that I'm drawn to, which I find like this Picasso painting is completely full of. It's cartoony. Yeah. The imagery and the colours yeah, and the definitely. characters is so cartoony. But yet, I also love... The other side of my brain loves geometric abstraction, simplicity. That's a recent discovery. Things like um, Barnett Newman, um, uh, Frank Stella, Carmen Herrera, uh, Leon Polksmith, uh, people that are... I'm trying to think of this other guy's name that's completely gone out of my head. I, it will come back to me. People that... The, just the, just reduction, reducing the the abstractness of that. So I have this oscillation between the two. Mm, so my personal very, collection, very busy. completely. Yeah. So my personal collection literally goes between these two things. I don't understand why, but there is there is a formality of shapes and colours, and then there is a there and then there is the the looseness, the the allowance of the cartoon side, the kind yes. of vibrancy. Do you think you could relate that to your career maybe? I mean, certainly with stage work, there's a, you need a looseness, don't you? Mm. Uh, but then there's a rigidity of having the text and having what the director tells you to do. I wonder if there's, if there's a link there between that interest that you have in, in visual art mm. and the visuality of, of stage work and film work and, and television. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe the, being an instinctive actor, which I class myself as, is the cartoony kind of free side. But the technicality that you need, what you're saying, to be an actor, mm. you need the technical skills, is what is the kind of structure in the... Ad Reinhardt, that was the artist <laughs> I was thinking of. See, I had a moment with Ad Reinhardt, so I was considering that as well. You know Ad Reinhardt's work? Yeah. So you're told that you're going to sit in front of a Rothko and you're going to feel all these emotions, and people go, I sat in front of him and I cried, and I... I what, and So I, I always had that. I'd been brainwashed with that. I'd been groomed to feel like... Rothko is going to move you. You will be moved by Rothko. If you don't get it, then you don't understand. So going in to see a Rothko, and I've seen a lot now, I go, okay, come on in. I, t- I test myself and I feel like, all right, oh, no, that's pretty. Oh, that's nice. No, I like that. I can see why. I stumbled across, Ad Reinhardt was someone that I never paid attention to again. Like this image, I sort of, it, it was there, it was in my peripheral. Mm. And I had a moment there that they had a show at um, David's Werner Gallery in New York Ad Reinhardt show, and I was like, oh, nonchalant, went in there. It did to me what people who don't know Mark Rothko and haven't been told what they're going, what they should feel and are going to feel, Ad Reinhardt did that to me. And I stood in front of these very black, very um, minimal colours that he's created, these palettes, and I was totally moved. I was totally absorbed. And it's moments like that when you're like, wow, that is why... We need art. That's why, because it does that. Mm. It's it makes you, it moves you somewhere, and that's the whole point of it. And if it's good, and you get to see it in the flesh, it's magic. Because you can't add Reinhardt reproduced. It just doesn't work. Mm. There's an artist called Mary Course, who's um, a light and space artist. They call her. And she uses these microspheres, which is what you get in cat's lights in the road. But she uses them in paints, and she makes these really beautiful, kind of iridescent works that move when you go past them. You can't reproduce them. You see them in images and they look very simple, beautiful, but just simple. You see them in the flesh, it changes everything. Mm. But you can't see them in the flesh as much. And recently she had a retrospective at the Whitney 
And I, was, I wasn't able to make it because I, I was here and I was working here and I wasn't over there. And I was expecting a massive flurry in Instagram of, like, hashtags, Merry Coursework, and I get to see everything. And it didn't really appear because people you can't really photograph on Instagram. And there's such a... Um, the delight of Instagram is that you can follow artists' work and you can see the show from people's, like, hashtags. Mm. And this, was, this just didn't, didn't live up to it. And I feel like it didn't have the impact it could have because of that. But if you were there and you get to see it, people loved it. How interesting, though, that people didn't still take paintings. Or p- well, they p- did, but it just didn't it. have the... They did, but it, it didn't, didn't... translate. It didn't um, have a snowball effect. It didn't have that thing that people are like, I need... Because what happens is, I've found in Instagram, is that if you have a show that people love, and they hashtag it, people sometimes want to collect hashtags. People sometimes want to go and see a show to hashtag the work because they want to feel part of that story, part of that legacy. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And that's with the, with the great works of art. That's what people want to do. That's why when people go and see the Mona Lisa, if they get a picture of the Mona Lisa with, with, with a selfie with the Mona Lisa, they're winning. And that's why you have these security guards putting their hands up. The Guernica, there's like people trying to pictures, they're putting their hands up. You're not allowed to take pictures. That's all. I think that's all part of the drama of it and to mm. make you want more. But people want people want to be part of that. And that's not being a sheep. I think that's just. I think it's a brilliant thing when it comes to artworks because it's like a celebration of. Art, you know, and it's a recent thing to pe- for people to post pictures of art on Instagram. You know, back in the day when you didn't have your phones, you wouldn't have taken your yeah, and you weren't your, allowed. I mean, it's very no, recent. I exactly, think that, that you wouldn't have taken your Canon camera in there and took the flash off and took a picture of a painting, <laughs> would you? And then printed it and then just looked at it and no. But it's about. <laughs> but the thing is about that Instagram. It would have taken about twelve days to get exactly, back exactly, anyway. and you'd have been so bored of it by then, and you'd have put over, over, like exposed <laughs> it and everything. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. <laughs> so you talk a lot about uh, collecting art. How did you get into collecting? I So I started, um, well, I guess the animation so you started the animation, in. but I mean, yes. how did it move into, because I mean, editions. you talk about a big editions. collection now. Yes, editions. I was, I was, um, when I was at college, I was at college when I was 16, and it was when the YBA movement was happening, and I was 
obsessed with Damien Hurst and Tracy Emmons Baird and Ron Mukes, My Dead Dad, and Gary Hume and Mark Quinn's Bloodhead and uh, The Flock Divided and the impossibility of death in the mind of something living, The, the Shark, uh, the spot paintings. I was obsessed with it. And a Charles Archie Jr. Yeah, and I went to the Archie Gallery and I was just like... I, that that was like a big that Charles Saatchi's first gallery, like the Boundary was it about where was it? Yeah, Boundary Park. Yes, was incredible. And then when it moved to uh, the South Bank, Bank yeah. I just remember that that for me was a breakthrough moment as a human. That mm. for me wandering around that was so exciting. Sarah Lucas's work, oh my god, that was just like amazing. A mattress with like a couple of mangoes on it cut out mm. or. The, the table, wooden table with two fried eggs and a kebab on it. And the person, the new, and the story that whoever owns that work has to replace fried eggs every day and the kebab when it starts going rotten. It's like this <laughs> conceptual thing, but it was just so mind blowing for me and inspiring. And I think that was an incredible moment. And I think we're a similar age. And I think uh, it was at that time so. Uh, so exciting. Yeah, uh, sensational. Yeah. Sens- well, hence the name of the exactly. exhibition. And yeah. it was very exciting to be seeing this art being yes. made as a young person. Yes. You felt very excited to connect yes. to it. So you connected to it by buying editions, is that? Well, so so after that, I was obsessed with all the YBAs. And then I met Tracy Emin on a, a street that she was sweeping up after the Queen's Jubilee, which is near where she lived. And I was there with a couple of friends and... Tra- oh. Sorry, we have to talk about this. Tracy Emin was sweeping the sw- street. Well, it was on her street and they'd had a street party and she was there sweeping <laughs> okay. up, cleaning up after the street party. <laughs> and I'd seen an edition of hers at someone's house. Uh, a friend, I went to a friend's house before we went to some party and I went, that is amazing. It's called Dog Brains. And it was just a little red figure in the middle of this woman with kind of a abstract head. You couldn't work out what it was. It could be a dog's head or it could be like just a, a like it was a Tracy Emin style head and it said dog brains and it's signed by Tracy Emin it's an edition of 200 and I remember like where is that from who did that and the guy was like it's my flatmate so I don't know and this image stayed with me I mean this is pre like being able to go on Google or Google image or anything and hashtag and stuff so I didn't know what it was so I bumped into Tracy Emin on this street party and I said to her I want that edition and she went oh well this is Carl Friedman who runs Counter Editions so I spoke to him and he said oh yeah we've got lots of them call this number or go on the website so I told my parents and they bought it for me for my 21st birthday so I got this edition so then knowing that you could then and that was like £350 or something at the time which was a lot of money and knowing then that you could buy something that is limited that not everyone in the world can get access to that is signed by the artist that they've taken time over and have that in your house was so exciting to me so I started buying more and more. I bought all the everything. Tracy brought something out on Counter Traditions. Every time she died, I'd be like first in the line. I'd get things. Sam Taylor Wood had lots of like ph- photographs she'd release on there. So over time, I built up an amazing relationship with him. Then when I did the History Boys movie, I got a bit of money for that, and I decided I want to buy an original piece of art. So I bought a Tracy Emin monoprint from White Cube Gallery. And I went into White Cube Gallery, and I was terrified, and I got taken upstairs to the offices, and I got shown some drawings... And they were lots of money, and I chose one. And at that time, I'd actually become friends with Tracy because we hung out at the South Bank Show Awards, and then we became pals. And you both like to clean up afterwards. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I said to her, "Can I get? I want to get this thing." She went, "Well, I can ask them to give you a little bit of a discount." She my friends. They did, so I got a bit of a discount. I was like, great. So they came. They came through with the price. I was like, right, I can deal with that. Then the invoice came in, and it's like seventeen and a half percent VAT. Now twenty percent was put on top. Which I was like, oh, my God. So it was an extra, like, whatever amount of money. So you did it. But then I had this original drawing. Wow. 
that I've still got that mm-hmm. was like that was that's magic to me that I was able to do that and that that is kind of cemented that moment in time for me that through my success of that I was able to put it into this which is my other passion Mm. so I bought things along the way when I've done a really good job or I've got like a bit of money for something really nice I've sort of I should be paying off my mortgage, but I put it into buying art. Yeah. That's been my thing. So well, that'll I can be your pension, at... went in. Exactly. But I can look at things and go, I bought that when I did that movie. I bought that when I did that TV show. That was that really nice voiceover. That was that theatre play. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I was in that part of the world when I bought that. Mm. So it's like my my legacy. I don't know. My, yeah. my... It was an autobiographical exactly. journey through it, your totally. art collection, totally. which is really nice and yeah. personal, isn't yeah, it? So totally. I suppose that also means then that it would be quite hard to get rid of pieces. <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a, ho- I'm a natural hoarder. Oh, no. <laughs> so I can't, I can't, you know, I've just had this, I've just had this, I've got this, like, nice walking bit off my bedroom for clothes and that, and I had them build, like, a storage area above it. So I've got just things in, I've got so many things. I'm, I'm a consumer and I buy things and I think I can't... The last time I moved, I was literally sat with my mum wrapping things up going like, I hate myself, why am I this person? I'm just like, I have no idea. Because <laughs> like, my brother is so minimal, so it doesn't need anything. But then I've got two nephews and one of them is very minimal and the other one is obsessed with Lego, has to have everything Lego. He's got so much Lego and we'll just keep buying it and consuming Lego. And I guess that's that was me. I was like, I had to have... I mean, you talk about art being uh, your other passion. Yeah. So I wonder, do you paint and draw? No. Well, I, I, I can, but I don't want to. Why not? Because I like to keep an artist, the artist on the pedestals. I want their thing to be untouchable. I want, I want them. I can, go, you know, I can fill up. I can go to a pottery class. I can go. I can take a nice picture. You know, at one point, I was so inspired by Wolfgang Tillmans. I thought I'm going to do what Wolfgang does. It was what it was terrible. I couldn't catch like. The the, mon- the mundane stuff he gets and makes it beautiful. I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. I thought I was doing it. I couldn't do it. I took some nice pictures that were in focus and some nice angled things, but it wasn't for me. But I like to keep them special and up there and untouchable, so that I can enjoy them and not feel like I'm matching them. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be part of their world. I want them to entertain me. That's, do you know what I mean? Mm. Have you ever played the part of a No, an I w- I'd love to. I would love to. Mm. Absolutely, I'd love to play. I was. I said in this interview recently, I'd love to play like, if I wasn't playing an artist, if I was, I'd like to play like a young Jeff Koons or something like that. Mm. But if I wasn't doing that, I'd like to play like a gallerist or a curator that has like a, a falling down moment. You know, the movie Falling Down where he literally snaps and then just goes crazy. I would like that if there's someone kind of top of the game in the art world and then they just have this moment that... It releases and then they go crazy. Do you write? Are you a crea- I mean, how yeah. are you creating? Yes, yes, sense? yes. So I write. Oh, you should write this then. I know, I know. Write this play. Yeah. Write this screenplay. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe at some point. But for now, you keep artists on a pedestal. Yeah, I think for me, that's what. That's why they. They. they it's, it's just a bit of magic. They're magic for me. It's something that I. You know, being, and being like kind of. Kind of like I've slid into the art world in some weird way. I've come in through the back door weirdly through being an actor and collector and I think a few people have been like, whoa, where have you come from? And I'm here and it feels to be invited to these parties and meet these people is so exciting for me. And I do lots of stuff as an actor. I go to lots of events and I meet lots of actors and creative people and it's brilliant and I love my job. But when I go to an art party, like I went to an art party for Joe Bradley the other day who had a, a show at um, Gagosian and I just we had a chat with him and I met him before in, in, in New York and he watched a TV show that I was in 
and I was so taken aback that he knew who I was. And I was, and I stood there day and he was like, oh, hey. I said, hey, Joe, and we had a chat. Like, we were pals. And inside my heart was racing. And I was like, this is, I love this guy. But anybody in my world would be like, who's that? What's mm. he done? Oh, God, I, well, I could do that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But for me, it's my little, it's my little kind of escape. It's my secret garden, mm. that, the art world. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I want to keep it magical. So I don't try and compete with them or match them. I just, please keep doing what you're doing and I'll, I will just bask in, in whatever you're producing. So have you met any other artists? Oh my, Yeah, I've met loads. Okay. So have you got any interesting stories about artist studio visits? or? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of artists have become friends who I've collected. Um, but like the other day, I had a tour. So the big thing, I had a tour of my house for Freeze Art Fair the other day. They had like the VIP tours. I had like 40 people in my house. And then Michael Craig Martin, who's an RA, uh, interviewed me about my collection and about knowing me. And it was just such a great feeling. You know, and I've become mates yeah. with Tracy Emin and Rebecca Warren, who's a sculptor I love, is a really dear friend now. Lots of artists in America who have become pals, like Jamie and Giuliana Villani is an artist, she's a Brooklyn-based artist who I adore. Joyce Pensato, Brooklyn-based artist. Uh, Elizabeth Ferry, who's another artist. So a lot, but you meet a lot. And I think there is, there is um, I think because I do what I'm doing, there's an equal kind of interest in each other. Mm. So they... They want to. They want me to go to the studio. And they want to kind of hang out and understand. Well, what, what's his actor? Why is his actor kind of interested in what we're doing? So it's a mutual like fanning of each other, you know. <laughs> and that's that's been great. Yeah. And that's that's been one of the total pleasures. And I mm. never used to want to meet the artists. I always wanted to keep them. I didn't want to meet your heroes. That's what they say. And you should never meet your heroes. And I was always worried that I'd be found out or I'd have the imp- I'd imposter syndrome, I guess, of meeting artists that I loved. Uh, but now I've sort of, I feel like I'm at a stage where I know stuff. I've learned stuff. I am. I've proven that I'm legit. I'm not in. The, I'm not in this just for a laugh. Mm. I actually, this is a, a total passion of of mine, and I feel like I've been let in. And now I can hang out with these people and, and feel like I can sit next to them at dinner and not and not feel like an idiot and not know what I'm talking about. And for mm. them to go like, oh, this guy, I don't know what he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, I do. And I feel good. I feel really proud about that. That I'm I'm ready to kind of embrace those friendships, which before I was probably daunted by because I didn't want I didn't want them to feel like I was just someone who didn't really know what they were doing or mm. talking about. Do you have any ambitions in the art world and in your collecting? I mean, have you thought about what where your collection could go, what you could do with it? Well, I thought about well, collecting aside. I mean, collecting is just going to it's an addiction. I'm, addi- yeah. I'm an addict. So unless I go to rehab, art rehab, I'm going to be collecting the rest of my life. So I just think keep grooving that. At some point, maybe have a foundation. Maybe mm. I have something that is private public. Because I think it was interesting saying public. about, yeah, that people, you, you had to it was sort brilliant. of VIP Yeah, I loved it. Around. I loved it. And it's it's very personal to me. And I'm sure if you saw my collection, you could analyse what sort of person I am. And I was sort of equally daunted and fascinated by that experience with these people. Um, but for me, as someone that is a collector who's who loves art i would love to get to a stage where i'm able to give emerging artists an opportunity from around the world to come and stay at my house or i or an apartment or something be supported with some sort of um grant from a council or something so that they can create art in london hang out be inspired by us lot and then put on a show here or not depending on what they want to do but give that opportunity Mm. 
to artists so that, that they can just come here and have that experience. Because, you know, some artists that emerge and haven't got any money at all mm. and they're brilliant, but they're only surrounded by their surroundings, you know, and change your environment, change it up, get them over here, have a lovely time. That that would be, for me, would be like, that would be a lovely, lovely thing to get to a stage where financially I can just go, right, well, that's where you could, that's, your, that's a studio for you to hang out and there's like a stipend and there's like... There's there's a bowl of fruit and then do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the cleaner comes in once a week, so don't worry about making a mess. It's yeah. that that would be for me great to do something like that. Just give back to that and just support that and, and be part of their history. Just have that. The fact that as a collector of emerging artists, especially, is that you actually do play a part in the development of these people and you mm. you you support that. And that is um, such a, a, a joyous thing that you can do. So I get the pleasure from watching them grow. They might become a reference point in art history and they like can benefit from financially from me or just from like creatively for like critiquing. If you get to that stage as friends, it's like it's a great feeling. Great. That sounds yeah. fantastic. I wish you every success with it. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for coming in, Russell. That was a, a brilliant, wide-ranging chat. Uh, but we started today by talking about Night Fishing at Antibes, which was painted in 1939 by the Spanish artist Pablo Picasso. The large 11-foot by 7-foot canvas is on display at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. The painting, which incorporates autobiographical elements, can also be viewed, like Picasso's Guernica, which was completed two years previously, as a response to the Spanish Civil War. Picasso said of his work, I paint the way some people write an autobiography. The paintings, finished or not, are the pages from my diary. If you would like to see the artwork we were discussing this week or carry on the conversation further, you can find me on Twitter, at Laura Jane Foley. And if you want to discuss the show, please use the hashtag MyFavouriteWorkOfArt. The show is recorded at Wise Budder in London. The title music is Blue from Colours by Dimitri Scarlatto. I hope you'll be able to join me next time. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.